Welcome to the Explaining Albania podcast with me, Alice Taylor. In this episode, I'm speaking to Gentiana Suzai, who is a human rights lawyer, a mother, a activist, and has also founded Albania's very first Aikido dojo. And I'm going to be speaking to her today about her project that's working with women and girls throughout Albania, empowering them and teaching them self-defense. Hi, Alice, and thank you so much for inviting me here to share this space with you. And uh, I've been waiting for this interview, yes, and so hopefully it will be interesting for you and for all your listeners. First of all, can you just take a moment to introduce yourself and explain sort of who you are, where you're from and what you're doing at the moment? So, um, I am an Albanian who comes from Tropoja, which is in the north of the country. And uh, I have studied law myself. Today I am a mother of two. My boys are 14 and 17. They're quite big now. The, <laughs> and uh, I have been traveling a lot. I've had, uh, I've been living for about 12 years uh, in Europe, in other European countries and in Latin America. So I came back to Albania about five years ago. And uh, in these uh, in these last years, my profile, my job has changed quite a lot because uh, I started as a lawyer working uh, mainly on human rights, uh, collaborating with different agencies and organizations, uh, helping refugees, victims of trafficking, migrants. Mm -hmm. And uh, today I'm actually focusing all my energy to the program, which is called Empowerment Through Mm Self-Defense which is a powerful process that uh, women and girls uh, go through but also men are uh, have really appreciated it and uh, in order to find their own strength and to understand how to live a life with more freedom so when you talk about self-defense can you explain a little more about what exactly you mean when you say that Right. So uh, if you see the pictures, you have seen some pictures from Mm -hmm. our events and the beautiful ones are the ones where you are kicking, you're striking, uh, you're learning how to give a a kick or you're breaking a wooden board. And that's like the wow stuff. Uh, But this uh, program, which is called empowerment, uh, exactly because it is different from other traditional self-defense classes. So here we are not uh, looking only at uh, mm-hmm. violence that is happening in public space, like normal is used to do, because we see that uh, when it comes to women and girls, especially, they are uh, being victims of violence mostly in their public mm-hmm. and mostly by people they know. Mm-hmm. So not really by strangers. Uh, another important thing is that we don't focus only on the physical skills. We also uh, train, practice, learn new ways how to communicate, so how to uh, improve the communication skills, the verbal skills in order to detect signs of abuse or signs of violence as early as possible and put these skills into practice, put these skills in use afterwards in order to stop all kind of abuse that uh, may show up. So we talk about gender-based violence, we talk about how to detect uh, the dynamics of power and verbal abuse in order for for women to 
to feel to feel uh, that they have many options, that they have many choices. Everybody's situation is unique, uh, so they can make their own decision when it comes to their own life. So, from what I understand, you're teaching Aikido. Is that right? Right. So, uh, Aikido is a, is a martial art, mm -hmm. it's a specific discipline which requires a lot of training, a lot of patience, it requires years of practice in order to fully understand yes. it and fully enjoy it. <laughs> so uh, it is a self-defense uh, martial art, of course, but uh, it requires very uh, strict discipline, like two, three times per week and for a long time, so that you understand what it is and how to use it. Whether the empowerment self-defense, uh, it is a program that has been tailored by not only martial artists but also psychologists uh, educators sociologists uh, people that have been um, so people with different backgrounds in order to have a kind of a package that in a short time you can learn very very practical mm -hmm. skills for your day-to-day -day life it's because not everybody especially women and girls uh, they do not mm -hmm. find the time for themselves they do not dedicate time for their own personal mm -hmm. well-being or safety. So how did you get into Aikido? Was it you got into Aikido and then you had the idea for the project or did the project come first and then Aikido became a part of that? Right, yes, I uh, started Aikido out of uh, personal curiosity because my boys were mm -hmm. practicing it, they were little at that time. And I just went to, I was uh, invited as many other parents to join uh, a class for mm -hmm. children and parents invited. So I tried it once and I just loved it immediately. <laughs> and uh, I immediately registered and I never quit uh, uh, practicing. Now, um, at that time I was a director mm -hmm. of an NGO in Ecuador and uh, my work was really really hectic i had really long hours working and a lot of stress and a lot of difficulties uh that are normal for the people mm -hmm. that are working in the ngo sector and uh, so for me it was uh, a, a practice that would help me cope with my day-to-day -day life and mm -hmm. it would help me find my own balance and it would help me uh, get stronger physically and mentally because this is what Aikido is about. So that's how I started. Then I came to Albania, there was no Aikido dojo or a place mm -hmm. where we could practice Aikido, no Aikido school. And uh, after a few months of really hesitating a lot, I uh, started, initiated yeah. the first Aikido dojo in Albania. <laughs> and we, <laughs> we are reopened again now in September after many months of uh, mm -hmm. pause because of the COVID-19. So, and then, so it was first Aikido. And then I, th I thought having worked before with uh, victims of trafficking, uh, of uh, sexual violence and so on. And I just came naturally to my mind to say, hey, wait, uh, what if uh, there can be something taught for a short time to these women, to these <laughs> girls uh, to prevent violence? or to recover, yes. to heal from the trauma they have gone through. Well, I'm really curious to understand. Now, unfortunately, martial arts, it tends to be associated with sort of a male activity. It's, it's something that men do. Um, obviously, that's not correct, but that's a general perception. So 
I'm really curious, what was it like when you went into these very rural areas and you spoke to young women and girls who have probably led quite a traditional life with reinforced gender stereotypes and roles and you said, hey, I'm going to teach you some martial arts. What was their reaction? I would say they are pretty much curious mm -hmm. and kind of, okay, let's see how this thing is before they before we meet and so on. And then we are there, I can feel that they are kind of, they feel proud that uh, the teacher is a woman and they feel proud when boys are asking me about certain techniques and I'm answering and uh, so they're, wow, if she can do it, I can do it too. And, and they really, they start very shy, very timid at the beginning, but then you can see as the program uh, progresses that they are completely more outspoken, their body languages change, their way how they look to you or to the other person's around you. Yes. So it's really beautiful to see all the different uh, uh, small changes, but they are manifested in their way they speak, they talk, I mean, and how they stand, how they interact, because we also have mm -hmm. uh, role plays during, the, during our program. So they have to act what like as a situation happens what is their response what is their reaction so it's really beautiful and how about the rest of the community are they receptive as well there are cases that uh, girls especially are a bit shy i encourage them and the group uh, it's a spirit that uh, mm -hmm. we support each other we help each other we don't judge so we procure to build a very safe space and that is uh, really appreciated. And this course that you do, this sort of shortened, condensed specialist course, how long does it last exactly? Normally mm -hmm. it should be about uh, 12 hours uh, for uh, for first level. Uh, you can, of course, put more hours and learn much more of course, as any other discipline. And that would sort of give them the the basics of how to handle themselves, how to be more assertive, how to defend themselves if the situation arose. Yeah, exactly. That gives like the basic skills to react in any given situation, private, public, people you know, you don't. And of course, the program changes uh, according to the target group. So if we're working with the kind of the methodology changes and the, yeah, the tools change, and it's different if we're working with women and different with working with mixed groups. So it's uh, adaptable. And you say you're working with women and girls who suffered some kind of abuse or trauma in their lives. How common is this? How often do you come across it? I've had uh, cases uh, that um, of girls or women that have through situations of abuse or violence because now violence takes many mm -hmm. shapes many forms it's not only physical and uh, many of them at the end they're saying like oh if i had this when i was a teenager or they have they finished the the training and then after a while they contact me and they tell me direct stories about how they have been abused or cases of so it's really heartbreaking to see that how much suffering is behind and how much silence it's around us so it's really uh, very, very high, the level of violence we have in our country, in our culture. And it's, it's uh, the level of acceptance is uh, outraging because many just have learned to live with it and accept it and not take proper action and not stop it.
it, there is so much to do and from so many angles and especially also now that uh, with the COVID-19 some of the limitations that are, have been put are actually exposing women to more violence. So there have been times in my life where I've been exposed to violence and I've been in situations where violence has occurred and I mean I know how to handle myself but there are definitely, there were definitely times where I didn't stand up for myself or retaliate because I was afraid that if I was physical, um, it would come back on me tenfold. Is that a concern when you're teaching these girls? Do you teach them how to navigate such situations to know when is okay to physically defend yourself and when is best to not? Yes, this is the fear that uh, and what stops people many times, women, from uh, taking action or answering to these kind of situations. Practice tools and skills uh, mm -hmm. in order to de-escalate conflict. So it is, it is unique the situation you are in, as, as I said before. And sometimes you have to plan your strategy carefully for certain time, days or months or years, you may need to disconnect from somebody. So it depends uh, and based on the level of risk, what would we say that if it is an uh, immediate risk, you have to leave immediately and we give options. What can they do? We give options. Where can they ask for support? Uh, because that's also very important. So what is very important in this case, we give how to recognize warning signs so that you take action as soon as these signs of violence appear. So you don't wait for it to escalate. So things like, where are you going? What are you doing? Who are you meeting? I don't trust you. Your dress is too short. Don't wear that. That sort of controlling behavior. These are things, in my experience, which tend to escalate into violence further down the line. Uh, for me, they're definite warning signs that things are not good and that this is a toxic relationship which has potential to, to get a lot worse. Exactly. So to read the signs, be it red flags when the situation is very bad, or be it yellow flags, what we call them, when just warnings and uh, then for, for them to take action. And take action means also to leave that person, to leave that relationship, not only to attack or to uh, throw a punch, because what we really uh, also uh, recommend is that so the, the best fight is to have a yeah. no fight, meaning that so this is something general that in all martial arts and all self-defense classes tell you to do. That's the safest and that's the, clev the clever thing to do. So that's why the science is so important to speak up, to use the verbal skills. That is also we rehearse how to do it, what to say, formulas that we recommend when it's about stopping something or when it's about telling and asking for help when, when violence has already happened. We, something important is uh, to, to teach to say no, which is some, sounds very easy, but many people hesitate to do it. And I'm saying at work, I'm saying at home, I'm saying with your own kids and things like that. Um, and, uh, and sometimes it's, it's good to overreact. It's better that you say what you have to say and uh, be safe mm. rather than accept and let go and accept another time and then things just get that same uh, attitude or rhythm and doesn't change. These red flags and yellow flags, do you think you could give me a couple examples of sort of each of these? Well, you already, you mentioned some of, of, the, of those kind of flags, but the signs that show that are behavioral for the behavior of the person, like controlling what do you wear, where do you go, 
controlling your mobile, having shared accounts only because the other person doesn't trust you, not controlling whom do you see, are you talking to the neighbor, are you seeing a certain person, are you going for a coffee, permission, how to spend the money. Uh, these signs are some of them, but also, for instance, if a person is maltreating, you say, a dog or an animal, that those are also signs abuse of substances so is that this person yes. is not safe to stay with another red flag or maybe it's more of an orange flag that people seem to miss is when a partner insults and denigrates you now this can take the form of many things such as oh that dress doesn't suit you you're gaining weight or what a stupid thing to say sort of a mixture of gaslighting um, and belittling you it's this way of dehumanizing you and, and making you lose sense in your in your sort of self-worth if you will um, this is a very effective tool that abusers have it really does drag people down and it makes them far more less likely to leave less valued other friends are around belittling yeah that's a word uh, these are some of the signs also these are like yellow right because yes. the red ones would be when the person pushes you when the person is hitting you when the person is uh, shouting and uh, being very aggressive and th that's like the red flag so often the case with these types of relationships that ultimately end in violence is they never start out like that so often we hear you know that the woman She's swept off her feet, she's love-bombed, you know, she meets this wonderful man, he's charming, he's kind, he's sweet. And then gradually, day by day, he sort of chips away. And, you know, she doesn't even understand that she's in a toxic relationship until it's too late. You know, it might start one day with, who are you going to meet? Oh no, I don't want you to meet that person, or show me that text message. And then a few days later, it's, give me your phone. And then there's an argument about who she's texting or calling. And then suddenly her clothes are unacceptable. She's not allowed to meet that person. You know, and, and often it just spirals out of control, sort of day by day, bit by bit, step by step, until suddenly she realizes she's in the middle of this incredibly toxic relationship and she doesn't see a way out. The next thing you know, there's violence. I mean, it's very rare that violence happens sort of immediately in a relationship. It tends to be sort of the last, the last step in a very slow, gradual process of abuse that increases very gradually. So gradually, we don't even notice. Totally. As time passes, you just accept what you have mm -hmm. and you don't have the courage to change it because you're so much used and it's like you this you feel like you deserve it, it, it it's uh it, it, it it's absurd one of the things is how to those signs from the very beginning so you're not in that situation that is so hard for you to see and to to get out of that because many especially the women that have children uh, many are able to support mm -hmm. to uh, endure uh, situations yes. just for the sake of their own kids but we, what would also transmit during the program is how important is the well-being, how important is that you pay attention to your emotions, you pay attention to your intuition, because if you first are not going to be well and safe, nobody else around you, mm -hmm. or moreover, the people that depend from you, they're not going to yes. be well, they're not going to be safe either. So we're talking a lot about empowerment, but 
What is it exactly that Albanian women need empowering from? There is a lot of social pressure uh, coming from their peers, from their friends, from their colleagues, where if they're working or their students depends. And but there is also mm-hmm. a lot of pressure from their families. Uh, we've seen during the trainings, we have seen different profiles, different backgrounds, but it is it is so common for women to be under pressure for everything that they have to fit a special model they have to comply mm-hmm. with uh, some specific norms so these are the difficulties that they find they have to be good and they have to be perfect in everything in their studies in their work in their behavior in the way they treat their family etc but and they feel bad when they have to say no or if they are assertive they are being cold and not polite or that they are being rude so if they are looking for in, uh, to be independent and go to their own apartment or have a separate apartment etc either they cannot because they don't have the economic mm-hmm. situation that can help them for that because their salaries are lower or their work mm-hmm. uh, is not sure it's not sure enough and uh, there is also pressure from the family so the situation in Tirana is different but it does not represent mm-hmm. what we have throughout Albania and especially when it comes to mm-hmm. the small cities or rural areas things haven't changed much since the time of the 90s or the 2000s so it is very very hard for these women and then their only hope for many of them is to leave that place to leave that village city or to leave the country yes. in order to have more freedom now something i've written about many many times in albania and it's a statistic which really really troubles me and that's one in two albanian women will suffer from some form of domestic violence at some point in their lives so that's 53% of the population will suffer from domestic violence Um, now we need to remember as well that domestic violence takes takes many forms. It can be emotional, it can be physical, sexual, it can be economic and psychological as well. Um, now it's it's such a troubling statistic, and I really really want to understand why it's so high. Having lived here for a few years, I've really noticed that there are very very strong gender roles and gender stereotypes in Albanian society and they're very much imposed on women whether they like it or not and the same for men as well. Now I'm wondering whether these uh, very very strict gender roles that are enforced have some correlation with the high prevalence of domestic violence against women. What do you think? they totally do because we know gender violence is uh, about power and it's about a lot of cultural habits and the traditions that are seriously deeply um, rooted in in our uh, in our people uh, still so um, the numbers are really high and at this moment uh, that we are speaking one out of three women is really is experiencing one type of violence or more than one type of violence the gender roles is very important uh, and and many organizations many institutions are working about this however what is important now is to work with the communities i i this is what i think uh, to have a community based approach rather than just from up uh, in terms of uh, campaigns and uh, trainings uh, that tell what people should do uh, it is to to do uh, to make a change uh, in the communities from within 
so that they understand and they are able to overcome these obstacles that women and girls find right now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's not just about educating men and educating boys. I think we really have to work with educating women and particularly mothers as well, because these these harmful gender stereotypes, these attitudes, these this sort of sense of entitlement is something that men are taught from a very young age. And if you have a mother as well who's teaching her daughter to do as she's told, to be a good wife, to not answer back, to accept, to put up with abuse, that, that you know, violence and aggression from a man is just part of being a wife, some sort of wifely duty. If that's being taught and enforced, I mean, the vicious cycle is just continuing. We need to get rid of these gender roles and teach equality to children from a very, very young age, particularly men and boys. And I mean, for example, men doing housework, the sons being taught how to cook, how to take care of themselves. So they don't have this sense of entitlement that is then pushed on to their wife when they finally get married. It's a vicious cycle. And I, I personally really think gender roles have a huge part to play in it. And we, we really need to start educating parents about how to raise their children. Exactly, that's the thing. So uh, when working with the communities from within, we, uh, we reach mothers, we reach the fathers, and, uh, and it's fundamental for them to learn uh, that uh, we are equal and that uh, to learn that how to respect uh, boundaries mm -hmm. that uh, other, the other gender has and be able to give practical tools, not uh, just the theory or and so on. So how do the men in these communities react when you go in there and you stand in front of them and you say, right, men and women are equal, you know, and you speak about gender equality. What's, what's the look on their face like? Uh, I have had uh, about this program, the experience I've had is with uh, young boys between 18 and uh, 20 years old. It is, it is mm -hmm. for them to change immediately, right? Because at home they have a different uh, situation, in schools there is some ongoing things that have been uh, going on forever in terms of gender uh, differences yes. that uh, many teachers also still have. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to change the whole system overnight. But the good thing is that from what I've seen, they are positive. They are at least, uh, they listen, they try they uh, are willing to make the change because they understand that that is the future and that is uh, a, the better world for everyone. So that is important. However, as I'm saying, it's, you know, it's different. In Albania, we have this custom that uh, when we are in a meeting or when we are in a training, we <laughs> behave by the book, right? We are very good. We <laughs> listen carefully. We participate in everything. And then we leave that space. We go back to our old routine. So, yeah, so this is the good thing when you hear, but uh, every change, I think it's made little by little. It cannot be all at once, but I would say there is hope, but um, um, it's different in Tirana. Again, I say it is different in the rest of Albania. So therefore, uh, there should be a systematic uh, in intervention. And uh, if there would be a dream, uh, I, that would be for me, my dream would be to have empowerment self-defense for every boy and girl in the schools 
And if we would have there, I mean, the whole thing would change like with one generation. Yes. And that would be like so important and so powerful. It would change their whole mindset. But another thing, and this is something we've discussed offline, um, and that's the growing prevalence of online bullying and online harassment. Now, obviously, in the last couple of years, we've seen a huge increase in the use of social media, phones, the internet. I mean, we and the future generations are becoming increasingly more digitalized. Um, now, this is great in some ways, but obviously it has some very significant drawbacks. Now, we're seeing increases. I mean, we read news stories about online harassment, online bullying and how it's impacting our youth. And it's even leading to incidents where young people are taking their lives because of harassment and abuse they've received online. Is online harassment and online bullying something that you're coming across when you're speaking with young people? They're not very open about it. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. they don't really realize. So when we put the issue on the table, then it's like, oh, yeah, I had this case. Or oh, I know this person that this happened. Like, uh, for instance, spreading lies or sending hurtful messages. Sending messages when the other person has said, hey, I don't want to talk to you or I don't know you or something. And they keep insisting. And many times they just don't take any action or they just don't know what to do or they just get engaged in back and forth messages and that doesn't make things better and uh, makes them go through a very tough time you know how it's mentally and physically and emotionally at the end of the day so we touch upon this it is uh, it is yeah more present now in the during the mm -hmm. these last six months that we've had because of COVID, it is ongoing and you can see it also between colleagues in the institutions, which is something, yeah. And many yes. people don't collect the evidence or they don't mm -hmm. do screenshots or they do not report it at all. I mean, it's very unlikely. I mean, I myself, I experienced an episode of online harassment and I mean, whilst it was very traumatic, I, I became aware of the fact that we really do give ourselves double standards when it comes to these things. Because if I think what happened to me online and how that made me feel, if you then sort of transpose that into real life, if that had happened in real life, the man would have been arrested. There's no doubt about it. But because it happens online, um, you kind of think that it's somehow less offensive, but it's really not unsolicited photos, persistent harassment when you've asked someone to stop, using fake accounts to stalk and harass people. If these transitioned into the real world, you know the person would potentially be behind bars or at the very least in front of a court. Just because it's taking place behind a keyboard doesn't make it any less threatening and doesn't make the person's intentions any purer. Uh, but it seems that when this sort of behaviour happens online, and it is usually men against women. Uh, we seem to set the bar way lower for ourselves, but it is still abusive. Um, and I really think just because it happens online, it doesn't make it any less dangerous at all. Yeah, you have gone through it and you're right in all the points you're making. That is uh, the feeling mm -hmm. from the people around reacting less because it's online and sometimes we don't really read all the signs carefully so many uh, i mean you did the right things when reporting and everything but not many people do that i must admit though when i reported it to the police i was hesitant and i was concerned that they weren't going to do anything but they did do something 
They did confirm it was illegal, that he was out of order. They spoke with him and I had the option to take it further if I wanted. Um, but it was in the back of my mind that they might just laugh at me and tell me to go away. But I think it's important to remember with cases of online harassment, you always have to think, could this spill over into real life? And if it did spill over into real life, how far could it go? Because you never really know. Um, and I think that's definitely something people have to think of before they think of reporting, uh, sort of weighing up whether it's worth it or not. Um, I think the institutions should also make people aware that they can report things like this, that they are really good and that the police will take action against them. This would encourage people to report it and I think it might have, hopefully eventually, have an effect on the, the sheer incidence of online harassment and bullying. Correct. I mean, the referral mechanisms and the numbers of help that uh, exist in from the different institutions that provide support to people that have been victims of bullying or abuse or violence, uh, etc. Uh, they are uh, available. It's just that people many times don't call, but uh, for instance, the national line, uh, green line, where people can ask for help, which is the 116-117, it is national and they receive you there can be like the first step to report all kind of violence now i have to ask i don't want to get political because that's not what this podcast is for but do you think the government are doing enough do you think authorities take this seriously enough do you think there is more that they can and should be doing to help prevent and stop gender-based violence against women and girls in albania i have read reports that mm -hmm document cases of and testimonies uh, testimonials of harassment and abuse and mm -hmm. different kinds of violence including physical violence not only from citizens like normal let's say with no specific uh, mm -hmm. political uh, position but also with mm -hmm. women that are in the parliament for instance or other cases of mm -hmm. women working in the state institutions ministries etc so it's definitely, there is definitely a lot needed to be done, not only for the public, as sometimes we tend to think only about the people, the people know, because this is the kind of violence that is being uh, right now is mm -hmm. spread in all the institutions, uh, non-governmental, private, but also state yes. institutions, even the parliament itself. So it's so much present in our culture and in our in the way how relationships are being constructed that is damaging the politics is damaging also the actions that are being taken there is intimidation there is coercion there is violence that even high rank women are receiving right now and they do not report it and they do not ask for help but they just uh, know in order to save their job or save their name or yeah so it's it's really sad and it's really serious what is going on so definitely it's not enough and much more is needed to be done i think it's really important as well that we have to reach not just the people who are abusing or who may abuse in the future not just the people who are being abused or may be abused in the future but we need to to reach the people who say nothing, the people who stand by, they hear what goes on, they see what goes on, they know what goes on, but yet they don't do anything about it. Because in my mind, they're just complicit. They are complicit in perpetuating the abuse. 
the ongoing abuse that these women and girls are suffering. Um, now, it's very clear that because of this, and because of the statistics, we really do need a multi-pronged approach. I mean, if you consider that over half of the population will suffer from violence at some point in their life, you know that that means either you or someone you know, someone you're close to, is going to experience it. Um, and that, that encompasses people from every single walk of life, every background, every social status, every job. So we really have to sort of attack this in a way which reaches everybody, regardless of who they are, what gender they are, what status they are, whether they think it's never going to happen to them, because it really is every part of society. Gentiana, it's been great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for taking the opportunity to speak to me about what you've been up to, your thoughts on the current situation in this country and the fantastic project that you're doing. It sounds to me like you're making a fantastic difference in people's lives and it's really valuable work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you so much for this opportunity and I wish you all the best and thank you for all your work that you do for Albania. listening to Exit News' Explaining Albania podcast. You can follow us on Spotify and Anchor and normal social media platforms to stay up to date with our latest episodes.